Bibles, please, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter number 22, the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. It is the night before the crucifixion. The disciples don't know it's coming. They've been told, but it's not registered at all. For them, it is another observance of the Jewish Passover, a celebration the Jewish people had been, by this time in history, celebrating for over 1,500 years. And they're going to they're celebrate it with the Savior. They don't know that the next day he will go to the cross and he will become the ultimate Passover lamb, but he knows. He knows everything that's about to befall. And look at verse number 14. The Bible says, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks, said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table and Truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. This is the first observance of what today we, we call the Lord's Supper. We are taught by the Savior that we are to do this in remembrance of him. There's nowhere in the Bible that says do it every week or do it every month, but as often as we're gathered together, um, and uh, from time to time, we pull out these elements and we take the time to remember what Jesus did for us. I'm at the age in life where I don't remember things very well. If it is not written down, it's forgotten. My train of thought derails often. Um, I walk out of my office to the outer office to ask a question. And by the time I get there, I don't remember what the question was. Is anybody else sharing my dilemma of life? And all of you young people think that'll never happen to me. We all used to say that same thing. At least I think we did. I can't remember. But <laughs> you know how that goes. God is a God of remembrance. Over 260 times in the Bible, the word remember is used. There's another several dozen times the word forget or forgetfulness is used. And God is a God who has always put a lot of emphasis on you and I remembering things. 31 times in the Bible, the word memorial comes up. God says, I want you to do this or place this as a memorial. I don't want you to forget what happened here today. I don't want you to forget what I've done for you today because God in his wisdom knows that in our frail state, we can easily forget. Sometimes we don't mean to. Sometimes we just get busy and we got something important on the list, but we were so busy with other things that we didn't take the time to remember and maybe something important is left undone. There are some things spiritually that God says, I don't want that to ever happen. And the Lord's Supper, the, 
that represents the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross is one of those things Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. He took that bread and he passed it. It was unleavened bread in the Jewish uh, celebration of the Passover. Leaven is what we call yeast today. Um, and leaven was a picture of corruption or of sin. And when they observed the Passover, it was unleavened bread. The lamb uh, that was uh, uh, killed on the Passover day had to be without spot and without blemish. It pictured the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no sin in him. He who did no sin became sin for us, the Bible says. And so they had unleavened bread and they broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Then he took a cup. The Bible never says it was wine. The Bible just calls it a cup. We use grape juice. We don't believe that it was alcohol that Jesus served at the, at the Passover because fermentation is to juice and wine what leaven is to bread. It's, it's corruption and so forth. The blood of Jesus Christ was pure and holy and spotless. And he passed that out and said, this is the blood of the New Testament in my blood, which is given for you this do in remembrance of me. So what, what's this all about? What are we supposed to remember here this morning? I jotted down a few notes just in my own spiritual preparation for the day. Um, the Lord's Supper that we partake of in a few moments ago is supposed to remind us of the price that was paid, to remind us of the price that was paid for us. I have the privilege of living with uh, Brother Rob, my daughter Anna, and their four children. And every year they have some Christmas traditions. And on Christmas Eve, they have some stockings that are hung uh, by the chimney with care. Uh, don't believe that St. Nicholas will be there. They just hang them and all that kind of stuff. And uh, everybody's got their own. I think they have their names on them. I'm not sure. And uh, um, uh, what, what Rob and Anna do is they fill those stockings I mean, they're, they're packed full. And on Christmas Eve, right before bedtime, uh, the kids gather in the living room and they take down their stocking and they dump them out. And you ought to hear the squeals of delight and the joy and the laughter uh, as they pull items out one at a time from the stocking. And I think I'm safe in saying this, probably in any one given stocking, Rob and Anna probably didn't spend more than eight or $10 because everything came from the dollar store everything. The, the kids don't care. They're at the age right now where it's just, you know, it's all about quantity, not quality. And they're pulling out glow sticks and they're, or, 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 you know, whatever, some cheap little car that came from the dollar store and they're just having a great time and dumping everything on the floor uh, and, and all of those kind of things. And Rob and Anna watch and they laugh and take pictures and we enjoy their joy but they're not real concerned if, if the kids don't take great care of the stuff from the stocking. It all came from the dollar store. Now, Christmas morning, that's a different story. They've spent a lot of time shopping and, and price co uh, comparisons and so forth because they, they've thought through for each one of their children, what do they need? What would they like to have? And they've generally spent a, a, a good deal of money on the gifts. Now there are, there's not the quantity yet. You know, they're not getting 400 things that they got for, you know, 119 cents at the dollar store. They're, they're getting a few big things. They're getting some clothes. And I guarantee you this, the stuff they open on Christmas day, Rob and Anna have a whole different 
mentality about it. They want to make sure those kids, number one, appreciate what they got, but number two, take care of it because they spent an awful lot of money to provide that. And that's something a little child does not always understand and grasp. In observance of the Lord's Supper, as we'll do this morning, the Lord wants us to be reminded that our salvation did not come cheaply. It did not come cheaply. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the Bible says this, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. We're not redeemed because we amassed enough money on our own and somehow paid our entrance into heaven. If you were to take some of the richest people in our world today, take Elon Musk with SpaceX and all the other things that he owns, if he were to sell all of his holdings and have all of those multiplied billions and billions of dollars, and he were to stand at the, the, the threshold of heaven and say, look, I've got all this money, uh, I, I, I'm buying my way into heaven, the Lord would say, that's not enough. That's not enough. That, that won't get you in. And Elon Musk would be as lost as lost could be. We're not, we're not redeemed with things like that. It's with the precious blood of Christ Amen. as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. The ladies sang about atonement day in the old Testament once a year, usually in the fall around September, the Jewish people celebrate even today what is called the day of atonement. They can't celebrate it like their forefathers did because there is no temple for them to offer this. But on the Day of Atonement in Bible days, they would take one lamb. They'd make sure it was a spotless lamb. They'd check out it, that it's not blind or deaf, that there are no bruises. It's not lame. It, 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 it is, is perfect as, as they can find one to be. And they kill that lamb. As they do so, the high priest puts his hand on the head of the little lamb and he confesses the sins of the people over that. In other words, saying we are a sinful people before a holy God and our sins require the shedding of blood. And then they would kill that lamb. They would capture the blood of the little lamb in a basin and it's gory. It's hard for us to comprehend. It's not nice and clean and sanitized as we'd like it to be, but neither is sin. Neither is sin. Sin has an awful price to pay. The high priest and the high priest alone would take that blood in the basin. He'd walk into the tabernacle to a very special part of it called the Holy of Holies. He was only allowed in there once a year, and he was the only one out of the entire nation allowed to go in there. And he would take the blood of the lamb and take some weed called hyssop and he'd dip it in there almost like a paintbrush and just sprinkle it all over this one piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. He was picturing the Lord Jesus Christ before the presence of God shedding his blood, offering his blood as payment for our sin. Everybody'd wait outside. When the priest was done, he would come back out the basin would be empty and the blood had been applied. But here was the problem with that. Next September, he had to go back in on the Day of Atonement and do it all over again. It was never enough. Never enough. And that same tabernacle, same temple, every morning and every evening, another lamb would die both times of the day. 
People would bring in sacrifices of their own from time to time. And over the centuries, thousands and hundreds of thousands of animals were sacrificed and the blood flowed freely, but it was never enough. Never enough. But on Calvary, God sent his only begotten son. Amen. He didn't send us a lamb or a goat or bullock. He sent his only begotten son. A son who had never sinned. A son who had never had an evil thought. A son who had never done wrong. Holy and sinless and spotless. Amen. God said, I'm going to give my son for you. We deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve judgment. Jesus did not at all, but he said, I'm going to bear your judgment for you. And on the cross, the Savior was tortured and he was murdered and his blood flowed so freely that we cannot even comprehend it. And that blood was the price of our sin. And that was the price that God said, I'm freely offering for you. That was the price that Jesus said, I give myself for you. As we receive the Lord's Supper this morning, we are being reminded of the price that was paid, lest we take it for granted, lest we get ho-hum about our Christianity. Would you understand that salvation was a free gift for us to receive? Uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But every gift has a price tag. The one receiving the gift does not pay the price, but the one giving it always does. God himself gave us the gift of his only begotten son and it was freely free for us to receive. And if you've never received Christ as your savior, you need to do that before you go any farther in your life. You need to realize that you can't earn your way to heaven. You can't be religious enough for heaven. You are a sinner and your sins need to be paid for. And only the blood of Jesus Christ can do that and call upon Christ to be your savior. But for those of us who are saved, we need to take a moment today in the midst of all of our busy lives and remember the price that was paid for us. You hear me talk about my trainer, Sam, an awful lot. For the last five years or so, uh, I've worked a couple hours every week with him since I lost my leg. And Sam has meant a great deal to me. He's helped me an awful lot. And uh, Sam and I were talking, I think it was two weeks ago tomorrow, and we were talking, and, and I don't know how the subject came up. He said, yeah, I had an opportunity to go to Georgia. I was, I was offered a very, very good job by a friend of mine. It would still be in the personal training in the fitness industry type thing. And he said, um, it would have been pretty good money. He said, it would have been a lot more money than I've ever made around here. He said, I turned it down. I said, seriously? He said, yeah, I turned it down because of you. I said, you're not for real. He said, I turned it down because of you. I could not leave you behind. Yes, I'm almost in tears now. I was almost in tears then. I said, thank you. That's a long way to drive twice a week for training. <laughs> And, and so forth, but here are two grown men, and, and uh, you know, Sam's been here on, on a couple of times. Sam does not yet know the Lord as Savior, but there's a heart in him, and I, I realize here's a man that in, in essence sacrificed an, a, a big opportunity so he could stay and help me, and as marvelous as that is, as much as I appreciate that, it's nothing compared to what Jesus did for Amen. me. 
And we need to remember this morning the price that was paid for us. We need to be reminded this morning of the pardon that was made for us in that. When Jesus hung on the cross, he uttered seven statements during that entire six-hour ordeal. He looked out on that multitude that was cursing him and mocking him and saying, if thou be the Christ, come down from the cross, save thyself. He listened to the thieves on either side saying the same thing for time. One would later repent and ask the Lord to save him and so forth. But it was, it was a vicious day, not just the physical affliction on him, uh, but, but all of the onslaught of, of criticisms and, and mockery and all of that. And yet from the cross, somehow he managed to say the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You understand when he offered that prayer for that mob of people, none of them had yet asked for forgiveness. And when the whole thing was said and done, only the thief on one side of him would actually do that. But the Savior uttered that. But one of the final things that Jesus said before he died, he uttered the words, it is finished. It is finished. It's three words in our language. In the Greek language, it is but one word to telestai. It is a word that when he uttered it, everyone there knew exactly what he was saying. When he said, it is finished, he wasn't saying, I quit. I, I give up. I tried. I failed. I, I can't take this anymore. I'm, I'm done. It was the exact opposite of that. The words, it is finished, is, is what a, an army that had been victorious in battle, they would send a runner back to their hometown, and they would say, Tetelestai, it is finished, the battle is over, and we have won. Tetelestai is what would be written over your bill that you had been paying that was long overdue, and all of the interest, but you paid and worked and uh, worked, and one day it was paid in full, and Tetelestai would be written, it is finished, the debt is fully paid, nothing else is owed. It is the word that was uttered to a prisoner when he had finished his prison sentence, and they opened that cell door, and he walked out into freedom. Tetelestai, your debt to society is paid. Those were the last words of the Savior. It is finished. Our salvation was settled. It was secured for us. And the moment we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, the transaction was done. And, and as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Would you understand what a wonderful thing it is to be a child of God? We've been studying 1 John chapter 3 in our men's Bible study. And, and verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Why in the world God would want me to be his child? Why he'd want me in his family? He knows everything there is about me. He knows everything I've ever said, done, thought, or felt that was wrong. And he loved me anyhow and said, I still want you to be my child. Behold, what manner of love. And you and I need to stop and realize today what God did to secure our pardon. As we consider, it reminds us of the price that was paid and the pardon that has been made for us if your Bibles are still open to Luke chapter 22, I want, to, I, I want you to consider this. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the patience that was displayed for us. We'll start at verse 19 again. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. 
The bread we pass out today does not turn magically into the body of Jesus. It is a picture. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Otherwise, we'd be crucifying Jesus again, and that only happened once. Same thing with the, the, the cup that represents his blood. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But he continues, but behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. He's passing this out. He's about to die on the cross for everybody in that room, for everybody that's ever lived, everybody that ever will live. And as he looks around the room, his gaze lands for maybe just a moment on Judas Iscariot. The Bible says Satan's already entered into his heart. He's already gone out secretly and made a deal with the chief priest that he's going to betray Jesus when he's alone and the multitude's not around and they can arrest him uh, without uh, upsetting anybody else. He's already pocketed 30 pieces of silver. It's jingling in his pockets. And Jesus is talking about, I'm going I'm to die on the cross from you. I'm going to shed my blood for you. My body is going to be broken for you. And his gaze looks around and said, one of you is going to betray me. The rest of them looked around and uh, the Bible says elsewhere in the gospel, they said, is it I, Peter? Lord, is it me? Thomas, my name say, Lord, Lord, is it me? Even Judas feigning innocence said, Lord, is it me? And he's just chiming in with everybody else. Do you understand that if I'd have been Jesus and I'd have looked and saw Judas, I'd have thought, what am I doing this for? I've taught that man. He has seen miracles. He's, he's seen me walk on water and feed people with bread and fishes by the thousands. He's watched me raise people from the dead, uh, give, give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. He is, he's even gone out and worked some of those same miracles through my power, and yet he still refuses to acknowledge me as his savior. He still rejected me. He has already betrayed me. We don't deal with betrayal very well. Do you understand that Jesus could have let his humanity take over at that moment and saying, Judas, I'm not dying for you. But later that night when Judas showed up with all of his friends that paid him the money, Judas walked up and betrayed him with a kiss, not a romantic thing, a Middle Eastern greeting. Jesus' question was, friend, betrayest thou me with a kiss? Jesus called him his friend. I want you to understand Jesus didn't die for wonderful people. He died for us. Don't get offended. I'm not saying you're not wonderful. I'm saying you're not wonderful. I know a few of you, you are a legend in your own mind. None of us are. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But by the way, Judas wasn't the only rascal at the table that night. As Jesus is telling the disciples this and giving them those elements for the very first time in human history that we now call the Lord's Supper, his gaze moved away from Judas Iscariot and went over to Peter. In just a little while, he's going to have a conversation with Peter in front of everybody. Peter or Simon, Satan hath desired that he may have you, that he might sift you as wheat. And Peter's going to brush it off. You don't have to worry about me. I'm good just like I am. Though everybody else in this room denies you, I never will. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die for you. And Peter was none of those things. He was lifted up and filled with pride. And Peter was going to deny him three times before that very night was over. But Jesus still went to the cross for Peter. By the way, 
The other, the other 10 in the room, they were all going to forsake him that night. They were all going to run off into the darkness and leave him all by himself. Do you realize at any moment he could have just looked at those 12 and said, they represent what every person in this world is like. Why should I die for these people? He didn't ask that question. He just said, it's my privilege to die for them. Look at verse 24. This is the same moment. The same moment in the upper room. They've just had the, the broken uh, bread that represents the broken body of Christ, the, the cup that represents his sinless blood. Verse 24, there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. How petty could these people get? Well, let's see, he says he's going away. I wonder who he's gonna put in charge. I really I think you gotta put me in charge. I mean, I, I probably, I've been with him a little bit longer than the rest of you, or I'm a little bit older, uh, or, or I've seen a little bit more. I mean, I'm one of the three that went up on the Mount of Trans they They're arguing which one of them gets to be the boss. Is not that human nature? And he's sitting there ready to pay for their sin, and it's not registering at all to them. God forbid that that should ever be us. We're here today not because we're awesome, that we're wonderful, that we're worthy. We're here today because he is all of those things and more. Amen. By remembering what the Savior did, it ought to cause us to reflect. It ought to cause us to reflect. Am I living a Christian life that's worthy of that kind of sacrifice. Now, I, I realize I'll never be good enough to deserve it. I'll never be worthy enough in the sense that, that I live up to everything that is expected of me, but it ought to be my goal. If he was willing to pay that kind of a price for me, shouldn't I be willing to live my life for Christ? Can I tell you how the rest of my training session with Sam went two weeks ago tomorrow after I heard him say those words? I only stayed because of you. I gave 100%. It was back squat day. I gave 100%. I was out of breath. My legs were screaming. I was tired. I'm old. I never let on. For me, it was an honor and a privilege to be there because I, I just realized a little bit what he gave up because he cared about me as a client. My Savior died on the cross so I wouldn't go to hell. How can I do anything less than live for him with all of my heart, soul, and mind? How can I give him anything less than all of my love? Remembering this should cause us to reflect. It ought to cause us to rejoice. Amen. Anybody hear everything to complain about? I do. I, I, could, I could probably write a pretty good list of problems that I have to deal with. For, for a little while today, we ought to just be able to set all those things aside and say, I'm going to heaven someday because of Jesus. I'm going to see my wife again someday because of Jesus. I'm going to walk on streets of gold someday because of Jesus. I'm not going to have this sinful, broken, messed up body anymore someday because of Jesus. And we ought to rejoice in that. Yeah, we've got issues and problems and health, uh, health concerns and so forth. But when you put it all in that big perspective, we're a blessed people, aren't we? Because Jesus went to the cross for us. And there's something else that ought to do. It ought to cause us to respond to him. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about the matter of the Lord's Supper that we're about to receive. He said, you, you, you've come to this table, they would call it. And you've done so in an unworthy manner. You can't get along with each other. You're fighting about 
everything. You're holding grudges. You're going to law against each other. You've got sin in your lives. And he said, and for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Some of them had already passed away because God said, you've defiled my table by the way that you're living. The Lord's Supper for me is a time where I take some steps back long before I partake. Lord, is there anything in my life that's displeasing in your sight? Is there anybody that I'm not loving the way that I should? Is there sin that I haven't confessed that I need to get rid of? Is there, is there some lack of dedication in me that you see? Lord, I, I want to be, be right so that when I partake it this morning, I do it in a way that is deserving of you. Deserving of you. So it ought to cause us to respond. At our church, you are welcome to observe the Lord's Supper with us on these requirements. Number one, that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. To receive the Lord's Supper and that not have been true, you've not come to the place of realizing as a sinner you need a Savior, and you've called upon Christ as the only uh, sacrifice God would accept and received Him as your Savior. To receive the Lord's Supper and that's not happened, that's a, that's a false picture. So you need to be saved. Uh, we don't have a lot of children in here with us, but we always allow parents to decide if their children understand the gospel, have received Christ and so forth, and then partake of it. So number one, are you saved? Number two, are you right with, right with the Lord? Are you right with the Lord? Moment, we're gonna take a few moments and let you look within and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, is there anything about me that needs to change? Number three, are you right with each other? church at Corinth their big problem was they couldn't get along with each other are you right with each other are you right with each other so the question today is I, how do I need to respond at this moment I got saved in 1972 so I'm, I'm good there but I need to now say Lord am I right with you am I right with others and as we do so and make ourselves as right as we know how we come around this table and in a moment we're just going to take those elements on our hand and we're going to say thank you Lord for letting them do that to you so that I could be saved with our heads bowed with our eyes closed as the men come